responsible. And I say, why is he doing that? There are two reasons why that's really bad. The first is it distracts from what we're all trying to Welcome do to Political Pill. This is Victor is Rambo. Right now, we're tuning in to the uh, top health officials testify on Omicron response. Number two, and this is live. This is Dr. Fauci speaking. Gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there and I have life threats upon my life, harassments of my family and my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. Now, you know, I guess you could say, well, that's the way it goes. I can take the hit. Well, it, it, it makes a difference. Because as some of you may know, just about three or four weeks ago, on December 21st, a person was arrested who was on their way from Sacramento to Washington, D.C. at a speed stop in Iowa. And they asked, the police asked him where he was going. And he was going to Washington, D.C. to kill Dr. Fauci. And they found in his car an AR-15 and multiple magazines of ammunition because he thinks that maybe I'm killing people. So I ask myself, why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website, and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says, contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the only attacked that your can, colleagues, and in a politically reprehensible the only way, thing that I can reputation. Think okay, you won't yeah. defend it. No, you won't argue it. I'm You'll sorry, just simply turn around the attack. Continue this hearing. We yeah. have a number of questions. Right. Just another one, one more minute. Well, Dr. Fauci, I, I really appreciate your response, but we do have a number of, of questions from senators, and we do have a second round, and I'm being asked to make sure that we, right. everybody has their time. So thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me, Madam Chair. Uh, we will move to Senator Murphy. Thank you, Madam Chair. Dr. Fauci, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for what you do. You shouldn't have to put your life at risk. You shouldn't have to put your family's life at risk. Liberals are always stand up and do into the emotional side of everything. Disease. And That's thank all you they for need calling to do out control this agenda people. for what it is. An attempt to score political points, to build a political power base around the denial of science and around personal attacks on you and your family. On social media, I follow many of President Trump's advisors and family members, and they make a sport out of attacking you personally in some of the most vicious, hateful, ugly ways that are possible. And they do it because it gets clicks. They don't do it because they're legitimately engaged in a honest debate about the science revolving surrounding COVID. There's no debate Those about the science. attack you because there is no debate. There has not been one. Have you seen one? And so I appreciate the fact that you're willing to stand up for yourself. There's two sides your colleagues giving their story. There is no debate. That's what we need. Political muck. Not because this is Senator Chris Murphy. Those that follow Democrat President Trump are Connecticut. interested in an honest science-based debate about how to attack COVID, but because they see political opportunity. Um, so thank you, Dr. Fauci, for your work, for the panel's work, and for sticking up for yourself, which is not always easy. Um, 
Dr. Walensky, I want to take uh, my time to just do a little bit of a of an update on best practices for schools. Um, I know we talk about this a lot here, but um, you know, part of what I think is um, frustrating for a lot of parents is um, that the guidance they're getting from their schools changes. And I get it; educators are sort of adjusting as the variant changes, as technology changes, but. Um, what um, what has changed since the last time? Has anything changed since the last time you were here about what you are recommending for schools to stay open? I appreciate what you said in the last hearing is that schools should be the first places to open and the last places to close. Man, as the parent of two um, public school kids, um, I couldn't agree more. The trauma on these kids um, during this pandemic has been significant, and the data tells us that especially for poorer kids and kids of color, Oh, there we work. go. Especially um, for so, poor kids uh, and I'm kids of color. But I've got a governor who's gone to extraordinary lengths to make sure that poor kids and kids of color just so helpless to the Democrats. The liberal is such a prude. Thank you, Senator Murphy. And in fact, you took the words right out of my mouth. Schools should be the first places to open and the last places to close. Always put in to people of color. Fall and 99% of our schools were safely opened. And one of the things that's majorly different between September of 2021 and today is we have pediatric vaccinations. We have vaccines that are available for every child over the age of five. And the children who are in the hospital now are largely Do you have any treatments for children under the age of five? Most important things that's changed. Any treatments? Getting our children and our teenagers vaccinated. And if our teenagers are eligible, we have boosters available for our Do you have any treatments well. for teenagers? So we saw through the Delta, with Delta COVID. surge that we were able to keep our children safely in school before we had vaccines. So now today, what do we have for our children? We have vaccines, of course, that we can use. We have school testing programs. We have new science that demonstrates tests to stay. This mm -hmm. is where a child might be exposed no treatment. in the classroom. But if they're exposed, they don't have to stay home in quarantine. They can test every other day or twice a week what? and stay in the classroom safely. And what that has demonstrated is hundreds of thousands of person days of children in school wow. rather than at home. We have new science that has demonstrated the value of masking, three and a half times increased risk of school outbreaks. If you're masking and if you're unmasked in schools versus if you're masking in schools and just this week we keep a muzzle on you the 12 guidance so that is consistent with our isolation and quarantine guidance for the general public so that people can come back to school after isolation after five days uh thank oh. you uh, five days now Dr. Lenski, for, for uh for that and for your commitment to keeping our schools open uh, final quick question for you uh, Ms. O'Connell, nothing uh, on treatment. Uh, talking about in-home tests, obviously a lot of focus on now in-home tests, tests today. Um, but these are antigen tests. There are some, uh, you know, interesting research going on about the ability to make PCR tests available at home. And there's um, companies all over the country, including one in Connecticut, that you know believe that with some additional investment, shipping to bring tests those out tests to scale, we could get PCR people's tests homes. Um, into families' hands at home for a cost. I don't that trust is it. At or below what we're currently charging or companies are currently charging for thank you for tuning in uh this is uh victor rambo with political appeal you're listening to the american people as quickly as possible top health officials testify on omicron response senate hearing on omicron response we've contracted with one of them and have reached five million per month manufacturing capacity in contract with them and continue to look at the others uh, in ways that we can support them. I would also like to say NIH colleagues 
in a program at, called RADx, the Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics, are working very closely with many of these companies as well as they go through the development stages. So we remain very committed uh, to the work that these companies are doing and uh, look forward to partnering with them as they begin to bring these products forward. Products, more products, Thank you. no treatments. Interesting. Ms. O'Connell, over the past two years, Congress has appropriated this is Senator Susan Collins, billion Republican Maine, specifically for testing. In addition, we've given the department flexibility to use other sources of funding. And yet, as you've heard repeatedly today, our frustrated constituents cannot find rapid tests when they need them. This testing crisis appears to have been entirely preventable, as is evidenced by the availability, the widespread availability of rapid tests in Europe, for example. The fact is that it appears the administration simply failed to anticipate our testing needs. As the former Assistant Secretary of Health recently pointed out, a, a lack of federal orders for tests between January and September of 2021 caused the manufacturers to reduce their lines and lay workers off, including at Abbott facilities in the state of Maine where 400 workers were laid off. As a member of the Appropriations Committee, I share the concerns that have been expressed by Senators Burr and Blunt. I don't believe that we're in the position that we are in now due to a lack of funding, but rather a lack of planning. My I want to apologize for that break. Let's get back to it. It's funding this close to $83 billion that was supposed to be used for testing been diverted this is Senator for other purposes. Susan Collins, Republican Maine. Senator Collins, thank you for this question. Testing remains a priority for this administration. And all the work we've done on testing has been uh, Don O'Connell to, um, to promote the priorities of HHS Assistant Secretary. the number of testing sites available, Health and expanding Human the Service, type huh? of tests that are available for use in the United States, expanding the supply of tests in the United States, and lowering the cost of tests. Um, and we use I the $47 really billion dollars that came in the American Rescue Plan. $10 billion of that went to schools, you know, through the states to set up the school uh, testing programs. $8.3 billion has gone to community uh, testing sites, including for the uninsured and at the community health centers, the pharmacy program Dr. Walensky mentioned. $5 billion has gone to procure tests and supplies, and an additional $4.5 billion will go towards this $500 million uh, that we are uh, in the process of procuring. $29 billion has gone directly to states from previous supplementals for them to build and promote testing programs uh, within their jurisdictions. The testing money, as you recall, was for um, testing, contact tracing, and mitigation efforts. And some of that, of the funds, have been used um, for mitigation efforts. Uh, for example, when uh, uh, children are crossing the border, you know, one of uh, the responsibilities that we have within HHS is to make sure 
uh, that anyone who is uh, that, that the children that are unaccompanied are cared for. And we used some of the funds to test those children and then to separate them from COVID negative children at the border. Was, I'm going to repeat my question because you did not answer it. Hmm. Has the, any of that money been used for non-testing related purposes at the border? For the mitigation purposes as well, which the uh, legislation allowed the funding to be used for. I will follow up with you because I don't feel like I'm getting an answer. Uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, just last week, the president once again said that COVID-19 is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And let me make very clear that I've encouraged vaccinations. I believe in them. But contracting, uh, contradicting the president's statement, in Maine, our largest health system reported that absences of vaccinated staff caused by COVID-19 last week was at the highest point since vaccines became available. It's increased by fourfold. Does the message that COVID is a pandemic of the unvaccinated still hold true with the emergence of Omicron? Good question. And do you agree with the New York Times, which has twice reported that while the COVID vaccine is critical in preventing hospitalizations and death, it is less effective against the Omicron variant? Thank you for that question, uh, Senator. Yes, indeed, it is, there's no doubt that the Omicron variant, when you look at the protection against symptomatic disease and asymptomatic infection, dramatically goes down to about 30%. What maintains itself, it goes up to about 70, it's about 70% against severe disease. When you boost, when you boost, what happens is you get a rather significant reconstitution of the protection, particularly against hospitalization. So if you were to say that Omicron or even COVID-19 as it is, huh? is really a pandemic when you're talking about pandemic that causes serious disease, there's no doubt that there's an extraordinary divergence of risk between a vaccinated and an unvaccinated person. In response to the question just a bit ago, when I said that if you look at vaccinated versus unvaccinated, there's a 17 times greater chance of being hospitalized and a 20 times greater chance of dying if you are unvaccinated versus vaccinated. So it's not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Did you answer that? Thank you, Madam Chair and Ranking Member Byrne. Thank you to all of our witnesses for being here today. These people never answer questions properly. I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. Dr. Fauci, I want to start with a couple of questions for you. Um, we I appreciate you listening to Political Appeal. This is Victor Rambo. Uh, the message speaks for itself. Constant confusion, 17%, 70%, 20%. 
do they know what they're talking about? Thank you for listening. I'm out.